Well, good morning, Chillicothe Bible Church. As you know, today is Pastor Stephen's last Sunday with us, and um, I think somebody said that our potluck is a celebration, but um, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not celebrating <laughs> very much today um, in that uh, my friend is moving with his family and uh, dear Jenny and uh, the boys. We're going to miss them terribly. Um, certainly God has not left us uh, and certainly we will work hard to uh, find a replacement for his, his role. But nevertheless, uh, he is dear to us, dear to me and dear to all of you. I want to read you um, from uh, Ephesians chapter 4 about what Jesus has done that as he has ascended into heaven uh, he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ and I want to just commend Stephen uh, for his five years with us. He has been a shepherd and a teacher, and um, and we love him. And um, be hard to be without him, but um, but we want to send him with something tangible that he can rem- he can uh, not only remember this place, but also utilize. You know. Um, I know you won't be working with youth primarily anymore, but you'd be surprised how effective that hook is. Um, <laughs> but in any case, um, we love you, man. If you would come so I can pray with you, all of you, please. As for you, all right. Let me let me pray over you, okay. God, our heavenly Father, we thank you for Stephen, for Jenny, uh, for Josiah, for Micah, for their ministry among us, for how well they have loved us and served us and been an encouragement to us. Uh, for Stephen's ministry, as he has shepherded and taught us, and. Uh, and carried on the role that you have laid out for him in our church. Father, as they go and as Stephen takes on a new role, as they move to a new place, Father, we pray that every blessing that you can bestow on them would be poured out on their heads, running over and running down there, running, running down onto their clothes, um, that you would anoint them, for your service in a new place and in new ways, new ministries. Uh, Father, uh, go with them, equip them, empower them, bless them, give them every good thing in Red Oak, Iowa, as they leave us. We, we send them out with our love and our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead. If you want to share something, go ahead. <laughs> You know, going through this process, it was a lot of God having to share with us what 
was next and, and leading us and telling us what to do and, and a lot of anxious waiting and, and, and trying to hear and clearly see what he was doing. And it was, uh, it was kind of a Gideon keep laying stuff in the grass moment um, to see, are, are you sure, God? Uh, and, then, and then when we kind of realized and finally listened and understood, and there was a lot in my heart of processing walking away. And I think the walking away part is not that you're leaving behind people uh, that are incapable, that God has allowed you to minister to and with and be with. And I, and I prayed for the students, and my heart was anxious. And, and over the past couple of months, what I've been encouraged by and what I want to encourage you by is the hearts of the students in the ministry and their desire to serve and honor God. Uh, they are a great group of students that are excited about what God is doing in the ministry. They're excited about what is next. Uh, and they have some fantastic leaders to help guide them. Uh, but as a church, to, to, to minister alongside of them is so important. And so I am not... Uh, I'm not walking away from something. Uh, God is just calling me to a new ministry that says, hey, we got to do some kingdom building here too. Uh, and I've got to be part of what God has done here. And I'm, I'm more grateful for what you guys have done in our life. So thank you. Thanks, brother. All right. Well, let's pray. Father, this morning, as we open your word, I pray that you would speak through it, that the words would not be mine, Father, but would be your words, speaking by your Holy Spirit into the hearts of your people. And Father, I pray that we might honor you in what we do with this area of life, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, before I start, if you are age four years old through third grade, if you would follow the lovely Miss Karen uh, out the door, uh, we'll get we'll, that for Children's Church. Uh, we'll uh, we'll start into this, okay? All right. Well, as they're on their way, I want to talk to you about landmines. Uh, a landmine is an implement of war. It was first developed by the Chinese in the 1200s. It was perfected by the Germans uh, during World War II. And a landmine owes its deadliness to the fact that you usually don't see it before it explodes and either maims or kills you. Uh, they have all kinds of different types uh, some of the nasty, nasty ones that they have don't go off right away. You step on them, and then and you walk away, and you think everything's fine, and then it springs up about this high and goes off in a radius of a dozen feet. They've got others that will disable your truck, and then as you get the truck fixed and move it, and there's an anti-personnel mine underneath it that shoots up through and kills you. Landmines are nasty. Uh, and one of the beauties of God's word is that because he loves us, 
He wants not only to bless us, but also to protect us. And he tells us what the landmines of life look like and where they are and how to avoid every single one if we will listen to his word. He says, look, here, here's, here's the landmines. Here's where they are. This is how to stay away. This is how to be protected. This is how to be blessed in every single area of life. And the book of Proverbs is full of just practical, wise instruction on avoiding the landmines and experiencing God's blessing. And one of the biggest landmines in life, uh, one that has claimed and continues to claim legions of victims in every generation, is illegitimate sex. And so here in Proverbs chapter 5, God gives us a winning strategy to deploy against this landmine. Uh, And the first part of that strategy is a good defense, which God gives us in uh, Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. If you haven't made your way there yet, uh, make your way there. Proverbs chapter 1, I mean Proverbs chapter 5, rather, verse 1 through 14. This is what God's Word says. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to, to my understanding, that you may keep discretion, and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the paths of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others. In your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and your body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin." in the assembled congregation. Now, this is a, these verses give us a good defense. And if you look at verses 1 and 2, what you see is that the Father is telling us here to pay close attention to what He is about to say because He is going to lay some wisdom on us and give us a description of this landmine. This is what to look for. So listen up. If you're, going to, if you're going to use God's gift of sex wisely, this is, these, are the, these are some key things you need to be aware of. Uh, verse 3 tells us this landmine is not an object, but a person. And this person has smooth and sweet talk. they got a good line they can lay on you. And everything, men, that she says sounds good and appeals to your heart. She talks and you melt. 
I have a, 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 fr- a, a an old friend from Texas, and um, one of the expressions that she would use when um, when she was talking about a guy she was interested in is she'd be like, "Well, he just melts my butter." <laughs> okay, and that's the idea of this girl. When she talks, she just melts your butter. Okay, she just appeals to everything she says. Uh, And by the way, ladies, even though this passage is addressed specifically to men, this applies. Are there smooth-talking, sweet-sounding guys out there? Yes. Yes, there are. In fact, my wife ratted me out to my kids the other day. Uh, She said, said, well, you know, you all think that, that your brother is charming. Where do you think he got that? (laughs) <laughs> and she's, they're like, what do you mean? She's like, your father is a smooth-talking fellow when he wants to be, right? <laughs> and, uh, and that is true. I, I, that's not a skill I put to use um, on anybody but Karen these days. But, but nevertheless, um, it's got a, you know, when you talk to somebody in the way that they want to hear, whether we're talking about a man or a woman, uh, this person is forbidden according to the Scriptures. And their purpose is seduction. They do not love you. They want to use you for his or her own gratification. And by the way, this person will say whatever he or she needs to say in order to get that desire met. They will say whatever they need to say. You want to hear, I love you. Oh baby, but I love you. You want to hear that? You'll hear it. You want to hear, you're beautiful. You'll hear that. You want to hear, you are the strongest, manliest looking stud I've ever seen. She'll say that to you if that's what it takes. You want to hear, I want you. They'll say that. They'll say those things and many other things like them and those words will burrow into your soul and they will change your thinking from what God's Word says to you to what your own lust says to you. And the Word of God will all of a sudden get fuzzy in your hearing. And you will think, did God really say that? I'm not sure. Because the battle is won or lost in your mind first. Because sexual sin, men and women, is always mental way before it becomes physical. It becomes mental. And verse 4 through 6 outlines the dangers. On the front end, it's all honey and oil. In other words, it's smooth and sweet. But on the other side, if you give in to this person, it is wormwood and a sword. It is bitterness and death. And it is the sudden and very painful realization that you were making love in an open grave. That's the language of verses 4 through 6. When it says, Her steps go down to death, 
Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol is the Hebrew word for the realm of the dead. The place where the dead bodies are. The grave. In other words, you are killing yourself being with this person. It is destructive to your soul. And the point that our loving Heavenly Father is trying to make to us is that this way of expressing your sexuality looks good on the front end, but it is bitter on the back end. And God is absolutely right on this. He is absolutely right on this. I cannot tell you how many people I have known who have stepped on this landmine and blown up their life. But in 17 years, it's a long list. It's a long list. And I think that we can all do that. We can give a list. But here's the crazy thing about this. This kind of sin is so appealing, so attractive to us, that this is what we foolishly think. We think, I will be the exception. I will be the exception. I can, I can violate God's standards and His command and His loving instruction to me, and it won't hurt me. But it will. And I think the reason we think that is that it doesn't explode right away. It takes some time sometimes for it to explode. But when it does, and by the way, this landmine will always go off. There are no duds. It always goes off. And when it does, it always enslaves and embitters and deadens us to God. Always. And given that reality, God gives us a very simple and very effective defensive strategy. Are you ready for it? It's verses 7 and 8. It's very simple. You could summarize it in two words. You ready? Here they are. You might want to write these down. Stay away or run. <laughs> right? Stay away. It says, listen, do not let the, my words depart. Don't not, do not depart from the words of my mouth. In other words, listen to what God is saying to you and keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. In other words, don't put yourself in a situation where you are tempted. You know, Augustine, the, uh, the, um, the Christian theologian from the 600s, uh, he lived a very dissolute life before he came to Christ. And at one point he prayed, God... Make me sexually pure, but not yet. <laughs> right? I think a lot of us like that prayer. In our heart of hearts, we like that one. We think that's a good one. I think I'll adopt that as my own. 
What God says is, stay away. Stop making provision for this stuff. We think that we are strong enough to resist, but after you're already in the situation, let me just tell you this. After you're already there, the boat has already left the harbor. You're going to give in. Sooner or later, maybe not that particular night, but sooner or later, you keep doing what you've always done, you'll be in a position to sin. And by the way, sexual immorality doesn't necessarily always involve a living person in the flesh. Amen? Doesn't necessarily always involve a living person in the flesh. You can be immoral, and we are sometimes, immoral in a variety of other ways too, right? Like maybe we watch some stuff on TV that we know that if Jesus were sitting there with us that we would not watch. Or maybe we read some stuff that we picked up at the bookstore that um, just the words of it go into our brain and then into our heart and we are excited by what we read. And we tell ourselves, it's not immoral, it's romance. Right? Or you get on your phone or on the internet and uh, you start making excuses for what it is you're doing. Or you start going by that person's desk at work and finding excuses to be with him or with her and looking for that opportunity. Or maybe you filled out an online dating profile just to see what else is out there. Even though you're already married. Or you keep dating people as a believer that you know are non-Christians or nominal Christians and so on. But here's the deal. It's very simple. If you want to win in this area of life, if you want to be wise in this, then you need to get aggressive in avoiding temptation. In avoiding the opportunity for sexual sin. That might, be there, that might mean that there are friends that you need to not have. It might mean that there are electronic devices in your house you need to flat get rid of. You know, if your phone is a a constant source of temptation, you know, maybe you need to get a dumb phone instead of a smartphone. Right? Get one without any internet features. Right? Um, Maybe there are roads you don't drive down or stores you don't go into. Uh, Maybe you even need to change jobs. But the point is, you want to win, you do whatever it takes to keep yourself far away from this. The idea is not to dance along the edge of the cliff and see if you can avoid falling off. It's to stay far from the edge as possible. And if you don't, just trust God's Word on this. You will get maimed by this landmine. And when that happens, you will be sitting up to a banquet of self-inflicted consequences. And they, the text lays out what some of them are. Verses 9 to 14 here give us some consequences. Uh, first one is that you will lose your honor. You will lose your honor and you will lose years of your life to the merciless. 
Here's what I think that means. It means that you will be a slave of sin, of, of sin and shame and guilt. And that has been inflicted on you by the people who led you into sin. And even your friends will look down on you. Verse 10 says sexual sin also sometimes, and this is often the case, uh, has an economic cost. That part of your wealth and labor will turn into another person's benefit. Ask a single mother, if you know one, if there's an economic cost to sexual immorality. You bet there is. Ask a guy who uh, got together with a girl that he knew in high school or college, and they had a child together, if there's an economic cost. Yeah, there is. And that's what it's talking about, about strangers taking their fill of your strength and your labors going to the house of a foreigner. In other words, part of the time you're working, not for your own benefit, or for the benefit of the family you have today, but for making up for past mistakes that you have made. And then verse 11 says there's often a physical cost too. It says, at the end of your life you groan, and that your flesh and body are consumed. I don't know if you ever read any poetry from Lord Byron when you were in, in high school or whatever, English class. It always seemed to like, like you know, Longfellow, Shakespeare, Byron, all these guys, right? And Byron was one of these guys uh, that believe that you sh- that you only go around the merry-go-round once and so you got to grab all you can while you can and there's really no higher purpose to life than the satisfaction of your own pleasure and he was kind of he was kind of the if you can imagine he was kind of the bad boy rock star kind of fellow of the 1900s and everybody wanted to be Byron but When he was 36 years old, he spent his 36th birthday alone, completely. All of his good-time Charlie friends had left him. And this is what he wrote on that day. We didn't read this poem in high school, I can assure you. He says, My days are in the yellow leaf. The flowers and fruits of love are gone. The worm, the canker, and the grief are mine alone. 36, he says, I'm already feeling old. And all I've got left is an STD and depression. How about that? That's what Proverbs is alluding to. In verses 12 to 14, we see another consequence, which is deep regrets over the fact that you have blown up your life and you can't undo all the damage you have brought down on your own head. And over the fact that though people tried to warn you, you went down the wrong road anyway. And that can be painful too. When you look back, and to me this is one of the great illustrations of this, 
There was a World War II pilot, and he was flying his P-51 Mustang over the jungle down in, down in the Pacific somewhere. And I, I, I've not ever done this, but I think it sounds like a great time, okay? But anyway, he was, th- those P-51s would do 450 miles an hour. So in other words, twice what an Indy car will do, okay? 450 miles an hour, and he's flying right over the treetops of this jungle. I mean, just, you know, just as fast as he can go, right? Well, they tell you, your commanding officer will tell you not to do that for a reason. And he found out what the reason was. Is that as he was zinging along at 450, you don't have much time to uh, react. And right before he crashed, he saw a a dead limb sticking up out of the canopy about 20 feet. And his wing on the right-hand side of his plane hit that at 450. And when he woke up, he was hanging by his chute. He had had just enough time to punch out before impact. He was hanging by his chute. And he said, as I was twisting in the wind, I looked back over a quarter of a mile of wreckage. Right? And he was thinking to himself, when I get down from here, I've got a lot of explaining to do. right there are people who think they can go through life at 450 miles an hour but sooner or later you run into that limb and when you wake up you'll be looking back on a quarter of a mile of wreckage and when you do the regret you will feel is deeply painful Amen. And you will say, how have I hated instruction? And I knew better. Why didn't I follow it? So let's all heed God's word on this, okay? Stay away from that situation. Stay away from the people that tempt you to sexual sin. It will not be worth it. It will not be worth it. Because it is sweet and smooth at the beginning, but the end is painful and bitter and sad. And remembering those things is the key to a good defense. But God also gives us a good offense to fight with. Uh, so let's, uh, let's take a look here, verses 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Can I just say that I'm glad these verses are in the Bible? And I give praise to God right here for these. Because I think that many times people get the idea that obeying God, what it's like is just kind of gritting your teeth and taking another step on the forced march to glory. Right? Here we are. You know, trudging off to heaven, right? Where we finally get to enjoy something. But that is not at all 
the way the God of the Bible is with us. Amen? That is not the way that He plays. He not only tells us, look, I want to protect you from all of this mess. He also says, look, and it's because I want to bless you with all of this over here. And so if you stay away from that, then I have this banquet of enjoyment and blessing over here that I'd like to give you, but you can't have it if you have this instead. So I want to give you this. And God's good commands are are here in His Word for our protection and for our blessing. So 14 verses about protection. Here's here's five verses about blessing and joy. Uh, And the blessing and joy of God's gift of sexuality is in the context of married lovemaking between a husband and a wife. And the dominant image here is of water. Uh, you know, Wendy and her family just moved from Jordan. Didn't a lot of, there is not a lot of water there. Ancient Israel was a grassland. You know, kind of like you would, would have maybe used to have seen before the pioneers and settlement uh, of, you know, Nebraska or Kansas or these, you know, or even part of Illinois. It was once, once called the prairie state, right? And it was great for raising livestock, but water was precious because it was widely separated. Not water everywhere. Water in designated places. And one of the greatest treasures you could have as a person was your own spring of water. Because a spring is something that comes up out of the ground and is continually renewing source of water and of refreshment, right? You know, a pond is good, but in a, in a drought, a pond will go dry. But a spring will continue to produce water over and over and over. And the idea is this, that, that as a married couple, you have a continually renewed, life-giving, refreshing spring that is private just between the two of you. And it's not to be shared with strangers. Meaning, at its very best... It's just between the two of you and only in your entire life just between the two of you. People think that the people... They've actually done studies on this. This is, this is funny to find out, okay? But they did, they did a survey years ago called Sex in America, a social science survey. And you know what they found out? They found out that the most sexually satisfied people in America are... Uh, married Protestants, and specifically evangelical Protestants. Okay? So in other words, following God's Word actually does work. Out there in the practical world, it actually does work. And, and people lie and they say things like, well, you know, if you really want to have a good time, don't get married. Because, you know, that'll just spoil all the fun. But in reality, 
What God intends is for a continually renewed, enjoyable, private, exclusive blessing of relationship between husband and wife. And verse 18 tells us our, our attitude should be one of rejoicing in the beauty of it together. And it reminds us that however old we get, our spouse is the spouse of our youth, right? I am still married to the wife of my youth 22 years later, right? We are not youthful very much anymore, but we, she is still the wife of my youth. I am still the husband of her youth, the one that she married when she was young. The one that, she is the one that I married when I was young. And verse 19 is one of the most erotic verses in the Bible. It tells you about the quality and about the quantity of married lovemaking. And it has an emphasis on both. It says that when you're to be together, it's to be intoxicating. Now, I've not ever been drunk, okay? But I understand what that is. And what that means is, is that you are no longer in control of your faculties entirely, right? And we see people, have you seen people who, who are really in love? Right? Have you seen them? Where they're just goo-gooing all over one another, right? And they call each other goofy names. And they, um, and they sit next to each other, and they hold hands, and they touch, and they say, oh, I love you. Oh, I love you more. You know, and, um, you know, and maybe he calls her my lady, and she calls him my lord. And, you know, and it's really cute, and everybody's like, right? But the idea is that you're to be crazy in love with your spouse. You're to be intoxicated with them. It says, always. And on top of that, that it says, let her satisfy, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. In other words, this is not to be like, well, it's your birthday, I suppose we should get together. Right? This is something that's to be a regular, ongoing part of married life. Continual, ongoing, abundant joy in the context of married life. And this is the, the goal and the idea that God has for this part of life. That you want to be wise, you want to enjoy your sexuality, great! Get married to a spouse who will be devoted to you and faithful to you and honor God with you and uh, make the wall shake. It's fine. That is God's idea. It's as holy and righteous and good and blessed by God as anything else that you can do in life. This is a good thing and a good blessing that God wants to give to us. All right, so God has given us a good defense, and He's given us a good offense, and now He wants to give us a good reason to go His way. 
verses 20 to 23. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman, or embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly he is led astray. Verse 20 is a rhetorical question. The answer is assumed. There is no good reason to embrace a woman you're not married to, or a man that you're not married to, and every good reason to avoid it. And one of the most important reasons to embrace God's wisdom in this area is given to us in verses 21 to 23, that God does keep watch over every part of our lives, even the most intimate. Amen? That there is no part of our life, and sometimes we think this, we sometimes foolishly think that we can go off over here and do this thing, and, and one of the most seductive lies that Satan tells us is, and no one will know. But that is never true. It's a lie. Because not only will you know, but your whole life operates in full view of the Lord of the universe. And all of the secrets of your heart and all of the secrets of your life are laid bare before Him continually. And you want to live your life to please God. Because He has set up the world in such a way that you cannot escape the consequences of choosing rebellion against Him. You can't. It's His world. You just live in it. And the world only works one way. It works God's way or it doesn't work. You can't, it's, it's like a puzzle. You can only pick, put the pieces of the puzzle together in one way and get a beautiful result. Amen? But if you do, there is a beautiful result to find. So, here's the bottom line. God loves us. And he wants us, on the one hand, to be protected from harm, and on the other hand, to experience great joy and blessing with his gift of sex. And so we need to use that gift wisely. Amen? It's going to require a good defense against falling into sexual sin. It's going to require a good offense of saving our, uh, that part of our life for the right context. Because as, as Tony Evans said one time, you know, he says, if you have a fire in the fireplace, it's a great thing. You can cook marshmallows, you can stay warm, it's pretty to look at, it's enjoyable. You can warm your feet by it. If you set a, a fire in the living room rug, it's a disaster. And it'll burn the house down. The context matters when it comes to this. And God has given us a good reason for this. Now let me just say one more thing here as I wrap this up. And I am going to wrap this up. If what I've said here brings to mind some things out of your past, maybe that is God speaking to you. 
Because it's possible in a room this size full of this many people, and given the reality that, by the way, if you take Jesus seriously, all of us are sexual sinners in thought or in deed at one point or another in our lives. Then maybe you have some thoughts that you have not confessed yet. Or maybe there have been some things you've taken in with your eyes that you know you shouldn't. Or maybe there have been some immoral things that you have done with your body. And as we're talking about this, you're sitting there getting very uncomfortable. And if that's true, let me say this. Jesus saves sinners. Hear me on that. Jesus saves sinners. Jesus did not come into the world for all of the good people. Because by the way, there aren't any. There is Jesus, and then there is the rest of us. Amen? Jesus came to save sinners. And so if you have messed up this part of your life, remember Jesus came to save sinners. So don't simply live with regrets. Don't simply hear what I'm saying here and go, well, you know, gosh, I wish I had done a whole bunch of things differently. That made me really uncomfortable. I hope he doesn't talk about that again for a while. Jesus saves sinners. And don't allow your regrets to, become, to remain regrets. Because what regrets are is being sorry for the consequences of your sin for you. In other words, being sorry you got caught. Being sorry you tried to put the puzzle together without referencing the box and it didn't work and you go, huh, that didn't work. Right? But repentance is to take those regrets and to say to God, I'm sorry that I messed up. And I'm sorry for all the damage I have done in my relationship with you and in my relationship with other people. And I'm sorry that I sinned. And I need forgiveness. And by the way, because Jesus saves sinners, God offers forgiveness freely to all who will come to Him. And if you will come to Him and you will say, look, I've got all of this mess and I've got a big bag of it to bring before the Lord. And I have made a mess of my life in every area, including this one. And therefore, Father, I know that I... I'm under your judgment. I deserve to be condemned. But I am putting my trust in Jesus Christ who died for my sins and was raised from the dead to give me new life. And at that very moment, you can be assured that you are among the sinners that Jesus saves. And I'm not naive enough to think that all of us who are believers have not also messed up parts of this. And if you are messing up part of this, let me say two things to you. Number one, stop. Stop right now. Do whatever you need to do. Be as aggressive as you need to 
be tell on yourself to someone that you can trust. But stop. And then run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And be forgiven. And repent. And go in a new direction. Because Jesus not only saves sinners, He also cleanses sinners from all their sin and all their shame and all their guilt. And He wipes it away and makes them new. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, Your Word tells us if we confess our sins, that You are faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From all of our unrighteousness, Father, if we confess. Father, I, I don't know what's going on in the hearts of the people who are here today, but Father, um, we're going to take a minute and just confess to You anything that we have done. Father, we confess the, oppor- the times that we have taken the opportunity to lust with our eyes. Maybe through our TV or through our phone or through our computer or through a book or a magazine or even someone just walking down the street and we have lusted with our eyes. Father, we confess that to You. We confess the times that we have lusted in our mind that we have daydreamed about what it would be like to be with someone that we have no business being with. Father, we confess that to You. Father, we confess also all of our sins with our bodies. The times that we have used our bodies not for the Lord, but for immorality. We confess those to You as well. We confess the times, Father, when we have not been a blessing to our spouse, but we have been grouchy and grumpy and withholding and punishing. We confess that too. Father, we pray that You would help us to deploy all of the resources that You have given us through Your Word and by Your Holy Spirit to have a a life that is characterized by a good defense and a good offense and that we live in light of the good reason that You are God and that You love us and watch over us that You have set the world up to work according to Your ways and Your plan. Help us, Father, to submit to that and to follow You faithfully. In Jesus' name, Amen.